Good evening, and welcome to Radio Classics. You are in mid-ocean aboard a Jinx ship. Already nine men have died, and you know that some malignant force is aimed at you. Tonight, we escape to the North Atlantic in the year 1900, to a sailing ship whose very name struck dread into sailors' hearts. From the chilling story by Joseph Conrad, author of Heart of Darkness, we bring you The Brood. You can never tell by just looking at her. Proud and strong and beautiful on the outside. You couldn't see the black heart inside of her. And you'd never know if she'd killed at least a dozen men and maybe more. But I knew her. Knew her for the murdering devil she was. I saw her the day she killed her first one. And I was there too when she finally made the big mistake and killed the wrong person. But that was a long time later. Oh, she had a name all right. But after the first day, first killing, nobody but the family ever used it again. Everyone else from that day on would look at her, half afraid and half snarling. And they called her the Brute. I remember I was 14 the day my father took me down to the South Thames boatyard to watch the launching of the ship. My brother Charlie was there, of course, eight years older than me and very proud of his one gold stripe, now that he'd been made an officer in the Apps Line. Charlie and my father were talking. I just stood and listened to them. Didn't say much of anything myself. Look at her, Dad. Ever see a ship in your life with lines like that? I bet you're allowed to sail any clipper in the China trade. Well, that remains to be seen, Charlie. How soon are they going to launch her? Any minute now. Oh, I'd give a lot to be sailing on her instead of the Malcolm app. Malcolm's a good ship, son. Good a ship as any of the app's family owns. Oh, I'm not kicking. I'm glad enough to be through apprenticeship and get my commission. But even at that, I'd almost rather be a boatswain on this ship than third mate on the Malcolm. I understand that Colchester's to be her captain. Yes, that's right. Oldest commander with the absent son's line. Look at the size of her dad. She's a full 2,000 times. Let's say, Charlie, she came to 1,999 and a half when we measured her up. Less, half a ton. Oh, good morning, Mr. German. Mr. Wilmot. Hello, Ned. Well, 2,000 tons or not, Mr. German, you'll never build a better ship than this. I don't know, Charlie. I built her the way Mr. Apps wanted her. She's big and she's stout, but... I don't know. Well, what's your reason for saying that? We've had the devil's own time with her. Cabin doors jamming when they shouldn't. Hatch covers that wouldn't fit after they'd been measured up. Blocks fallen for no reason at all. I don't know, Mr. Wilmot, but if she were a human being... I'd say that maybe she's insane. Oh, come now. You've been working too hard, Mr. German. I think it's time for you to take a vacation now that she's finished. Well, that's Maggie Colchester up there, the captain's niece. Is she going to do the christening? That's right, Charlie. And I'd better get down below now. Good luck, Mr. German. Thanks, Mr. Wilmot. Come on board for this celebration after she's launched. Bring the boy. We shall be there. They'll let her go any minute now. Dad, I'm going to sail on that ship someday. Oh, you'll probably sail on a lot of Apps Line ships before you're through, Charlie. Look, look, they've given Maggie the champagne now. She's going to christen it. I christen thee, the Apps family. All right, men, knock off the staves. Let her go. Look, Dad, she's starting to move. There she goes. At that speed. I never saw it. 
breaks free of its moorings and rolls off the deck, slamming into German, plunging him into the icy water and directly into the path of the sliding ship. He has no time to scream as his creation crushes him under the rushing water. The app's family is launched in blood. The jubilant cheering of the crowd has turned to screams of horror, but one arm remains steadfast. Still think you'd like to sail on her? It was an accident. It didn't mean anything. Perhaps not. I'll sail on her someday. Sooner or later. I will sail on her. Well, my friends, the way things worked out, I was the one to sail on her first, instead of Charlie. He'd gone out to the Orient toward the mountain. Six months later, when I started my apprenticeship, I found the company had assigned me to report to Captain Colchester on the accident, or the brute, as everyone was calling him private. There was some kind of mix-up in the sailing orders, and by the time I came on board, the tug already had a line on the big sailing ship that was starting to ease her stern first out into the channel. All right now! He's ahead there. Take up the slack. Captain Colchester was at the top row shouting orders to the tug captain, and the mates were forward somewhere in handling the check line. You've got the slack now. All the way. I stood at the waist waiting for a chance to report in and watching a young fellow about my own age who was doing something or other up aloft on the mizzenmast above me. The tug had drawn the line out taut, but the ship hadn't started to move. You've got no way on her yet. Turn your engine up to full speed! The tug was turning the water to froth and the hawser was tight as a bowstring, but we still didn't move. Keep her up! Haul! Then suddenly the ship gave a lurch and started back like a bucking horse. The men forward had no chance to ease the check cable, and a second later it snapped. The ship plunged on back and then sheared over, smashed against the pierhead, knocked me sprawling on the deck, and at that moment, <laughs> the lad who'd been working aloft on the mast crashed down onto the deck not ten feet away from me. He lay there with that wound. Pockets just fell out of the box. I... Is he dead, Captain? He's dead, boy. You get a hold of yourself. Don't stand there trembling. Never seen anybody die before? Well, yes, sir. On the day they launched this ship. Oh, Mr. German, eh? You're young Ned Wilmot, I suppose. The new apprentice? Yes, sir. And no doubt you may have heard this ship called by an unpleasant name once in a while. Yes, sir. Well, you'll be kind enough to remember, while you're on board, her name is the Abs family, and that she's had her share of accidents, the same as any other ship. Is that quite clear? Yes, sir. Get along forward with you. Stow your gear away. You'll take over Hawkins' duties for the time being. Y yes, sir. I sailed aboard the Brute for the next four years and watched her kill nine men during the time. We got so we'd tried out Gesser trying to figure how she'd do it the next time. But no matter what we'd think, we were never right. And it wasn't only the killing. It was... Well, it was everything. Most ships have little ways all their own. You'll learn about them and allow for them. But not her. She was like a, a... a crazy person. You never knew what she'd do next. I remember once, off the Gold Coast... She ran before a gale for two days, as pretty as you please, and then broached twice in the same afternoon. Flung the helmsman clean over the wheel the first time, the second time swamped herself, fore and aft. Split out every stitch of canvas. And after we got the decks cleaned up, well, 
We found one seaman had gone overboard. He was her fifth, I guess it was. Or maybe the sixth. She was beautiful, the Apps family was. Big and proud and beautiful. But a black-hearted, seagoing brute. My brother Charlie was on the China run all the time. First on the Malcolm and later on the Lucy Apps. We never happened to hit port at the same time. Finally, the time of my apprenticeship was up. We boomed into London at the end of trip and went before the board for my papers. <laughs> I guess they figured anybody who could stay alive for four years on the group must be a seaman. Anyway, I passed and Mr. Apps handed me my sailing orders along with the commission. I was assigned as third mate to Captain Colchester on the Apps family. Well, congratulations, Ned. Glad you're going to stay with us. Thanks, Captain Colchester. You've been a hard-working apprentice, and I've no doubt you'll be a good officer. In fact, we have a man on board who'll make sure of that. What do you, what do you mean, Captain? We I... got a new first mate on this trip. Come on in, Charlie. Charlie? Oh, hello there, youngster. I say, you've been doing a bit of growing in the last five years. Charlie, I didn't even know you were in port. Been in for a few weeks. Down country, though. I hear you fooled the board. Careful, man. You're talking about your own third mate here. Yeah, so they tell me. Well, you'll be jumping lively on this trip, big boy. Easy, easy. Don't you forget, I know this ship and you don't. Well, I'll learn it quick enough. Been wanting the chance for a long time, and between us, I think we can even break this jinx. Lads, there'll be no talk of a jinx on this trip. At least not in the cabin, as long as Maggie's going along. Maggie? Who's Maggie? Ask your brother. I think he's the one who talked her into the trip. Though she claims it's for her health. <laughs> I'll leave you two to get acquainted. We'll be about ten days loading if you got any plans. What's he talking about, Charlie? Who's Maggie? His niece, Maggie Colchester. You remember her, the girl who christened the ship? Of course. Only... Wait, only you're not... Hasn't Dad told you where I've been spending shore leaves for the last year and a half? No, Charlie. I don't know anything about it. Let me show you something. Here. Now, if I have my way, Maggie will be wearing this before the trip's over. Here, take a look. Jesus, that's all right. Yeah. I bought it in Cape Town. It's a blue-white diamond set in platinum. Is it big enough to go on her finger? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's big enough, all right. And that's where it's going, if I can talk her into it. And who's going to talk who into what, Charlie? Oh, <laughs> Maggie, I was... I was saying that I hope I could talk you into going ashore for dinner with me. <laughs> oh, were you now? You big liar. Oh, Maggie, this is my brother, Ned. Ned, this is Maggie. How do you do? Oh. And are you one of the officers, too? I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the new third mate. Well, I certainly hope you're more truthful than your brother. <laughs> Maggie. Whose invitation to dinner I am accepting with pleasure. Oh, really? <laughs> See you both later. All right, you are. About an hour. Charlie, she's, uh, she's lovely. Oh, she's more than that, Ned. She's everything, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, in that case, good luck. I hope you get her. Well, we'll see about that. Anyway, with Maggie aboard, we've got to make sure this jinx ship stays on good behavior for once. Mm. It'll be the first time if she does. Well, it's the first time we've had both the Wilmonts on board together. We'll tame her down, Ned. We'll make her calm and peaceful as an old workhorse. 
Just you wait and see if we don't. And the strange part of it was, he was right. We stood out past Gravesend and made the passage to the China coast in 121 days, the finest weather you could ever hope to meet. And, for the first time in her bloody life, the old ship settled down and sailed herself as neat as you please. Charlie and I would talk about it sometimes when Maggie wasn't around. He'd always laugh and say the brute knew when she'd met her match, that she didn't dare try and buck the two of us. But I, well, I was more ready to give the credit to Maggie, to think maybe she'd charm the old murderess the way she charmed all the rest of us. From the second day out, Maggie was the secret darling of every man on board. She was all over the ship, here, there, and everywhere, with a red tam and her bright blue eyes, never a still minute having the time of her life. <laughs> she came along for her health. She'd found it before we passed Gravesend. We raised a storm on the passage back. It ran four days in a heavy gale. I stood by and held my breath, ready for anything, and, well, nothing happened. The old lady Apps family held her head and sailed along like a seagull. Any time before, she'd have buried her gunwale in the quartering seas, but now all the water she shipped, you could put in a teacup. 109 days from Hong Kong, we raised the Dungeness Light, and early the next morning, picked up a tug off Sheerness for the long tow up the river to London. The ship followed along on the tow line like a puppy on a leash, and we moved slowly up the river past Gravesend. All of us were glad to be home, but Maggie most of all, I think, because she'd never been at sea so long before. I had to smile at the way she danced around in the bows, picking out one landmark after another as we came to them. Sometimes standing up on the spare anchor we'd taken in on the foredeck in order to get a better look at the riverbanks ahead. She wasn't wearing the ring yet, but I knew she was going to. It was only teasing Charlie as long as possible. What's wrong, Ned? The tug stopped her engines. Collision up ahead in the channel, Charlie. Looks like a yawl and a scooter fell together. Oh, yes. Well, looks like they're clearing it up now. Guess we can move again in a couple of minutes. Maggie! Why don't you go up to the after deck? You're in the way up forward there. Oh, I'm all right, Charlie. Stop worrying. We're almost home. <laughs> Better save your orders for the crew, Charlie. She outranks you. <laughs> I'll take orders from her any day. Yes, we're almost home, Ned. We had a lucky voyage. It's the first halfway peaceful trip I've ever made on the old bird. Oh, I told you we'd tame her down. She's turned over a new leaf, Ned. Well, it won't last long if she keeps on shearing off there and drifting back down the channel. Huh? Oh, yeah. And we're heading straight for those fishing Better snacks. Better have the tug start up and hold a taut line on yeah. it. Yeah. Ahoy the tug! I've do this before. Take up the slack and get us straight in the channel. Hold her against the current. Any other ship would have held steady for the two or three minutes we'd been stopped, but not the old Apps family. Ahoy the tug! We're still drifting! And now, when the tug tightened up on the hawser, pulling at an angle across her bow, Open up to full speed! She wouldn't respond. Confound it! Wouldn't budge. Never saw a ship act like the this. The old girl wanted her own way. She was just as stubborn as ever. The heavy hawser was pulled so tight it was humming, and the tug's paddles with her engines full whipped up the water like a mill race, and then... It happened. It. The heavy towing truck tore loose from the deck. The hawser began sliding across the bow, ripping out rail stanchions like matchsticks. Then I saw it was going to sweep under the flukes of the spare anchor. The anchor that Maggie was standing Maggie, on. Maggie, get off the anchor! Look out! She tried to jump clear, but it was too late. The great anchor 
zoomed up on his side, clasped her above the waist like a monstrous arm of steel. It had carried her with it and swung down and over. He went into the water! Smashed her against the side of the ship. Take charge of the deck, Ned. I'm going after Ned. her. Ned! Ned, was that Maggie? She's overboard, Captain Maggie. Let go of the port anchor! Aye, sir! Hold the ship as she is and get the boats over! Aye, sir. I hadn't told Charlie, and I didn't say anything about it to Captain Colchester, but I stood there, and I knew it wasn't any use because I'd seen the way the heavy anchor had carried her over, and then swung in to smash her against the bow before it dropped her into the water. And I'd seen the way that water beneath the bow was all colored red. We found her at late afternoon when the tide turned, and she floated clear of one of the mooring buoys. The next morning, tied up in London docks. The men had been happy at coming into their home port, but now they remembered how she'd been happy too, their own darling. I'd never before seen a crew leave a ship so quietly, and some of them, when they reached the wharf, turned back and cursed the brute under their breath. Finally, it was only Charlie and I alone on the quarter deck, and Captain Colchester was below somewhere in the cabin. Never wore it, Ned. The ring. But she... she never wore it. Well, she would have, Charlie. I know she meant to. She was... She was just having a little fun with you, that's all. With all of us on board, why did the brute have to go for Maggie? Why? I guess... There's not much answer for that. She was everything I wanted. Everything! Yeah, Charlie. I know. I talked her into making this voyage. It was my idea. It's no good, Charlie. This kind of thinking, it's its no good. Uh, Mr. Wilmot. Over here, Captain. I'm going ashore. Shipkeepers come aboard, and now the two of you are free to go whenever you like. Thank you, sir. Charlie, uh, I'm resigning my command in the morning. I'll never set foot on border again as long as I live. I feel the same way, sir. Well, come into the company office in a day or two and sign up for the log. Good day, gentlemen. Charlie, we'd better go ashore, too. We're done here. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose we are. I'll arrange to have our gear picked up later. There's no use of... Captain! 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 Clear? Ah, you missed me, you murdering bitch. And that was your last chance. That... That yard arm off the main mast fell right behind me. Ned, that yard was made fast to Dungeness, and now it falls out of the tops with the ship lying still at the wharf. Wasn't the devil satisfied for one trip? Is there no way of stopping her? Charlie! How many more does she want to kill? Come on, Charlie. Oh, Ned. Ned. Take me home. Charlie was ten years older by the time we reached home. And it was two weeks before he'd do anything more than just sit in his room and stare at the wall, saying nothing. Captain Colchester carried out his threat and resigned from the company the morning after we docked, and I filed my application for a transfer. The Apps family was reloaded and ready to sail, but she stayed on, lying at the wharf with nobody to take her out, and that's the way things stood for two weeks until, one morning, a bombshell dropped. Hello, Ned. Charlie! I wondered where you were this morning. Well, I... I left the house early. Well, how do you feel? Fine. Ned, Mr. Apps tells me you've applied for a transfer. Another ship? Yeah. Yeah, I, I did, as a matter of fact. 
you, you saw old man Apps? Yes, I stopped in at the office this morning. Ned, it's up to you, of course, but I hope you'll change your mind. Not a chance. The ship sails tomorrow morning. Oh? So they finally found somebody crazy enough to take her out? Yes, they did. Me. You? You? You're going to... You're going to skip her the brute? That's right, Ned. But I... I thought... It's, it's a short voyage. North Atlantic run. Be awfully glad to have you along. Somebody I can depend on. If you feel like signing on again. Charlie. Of course, it's up to you. <sighs> All right, Charlie. I'll, I'll sign on again. Be glad to. We boomed out past the Sheerness light, headed north, hugging a lee shore in a stiff breeze. The ship drove ahead as steady as a barge with scarcely a roll or a quiver. But in spite of the smooth and easy way she handled, I couldn't help feeling uneasy. I could sense the black spirit of her brooding somewhere down inside mocking and taunting us with her bloody memories, waiting for a new chance. By nightfall, we were running hard in along the Kettering coast, where those rocky headlands break at intervals out on the shelving, sandy beaches. The onshore wind held steady on our quarter, and the sun sank down behind the land some three miles away. It wasn't quite full dark yet when Charlie sent for me. I came up to where he was standing along near the wheel. Is that you, Ned? Right, Charlie. Boatswain said you wanted to see me? Yeah. Hold her steady as she goes, close to the wind. Aye, sir. I've been standing here thinking about Maggie Ned. How she scrambled around over the decks, making friends with everybody. Having the time of her life. Charlie, you've got to stop her. No, no, I'm all right. I like to think about her. It's this ship and all the damn memories around it. It's what I was afraid no, of. No, no, it's all right. Ned... I want you to take charge of the crew and give an order. Of course they'll question the order, but you'll carry it out anyway. Do you understand? It's the order, Charlie. Have all hands prepare to abandon ship. What? But, but why? There's nothing wrong. Mr. Wilmot, it is not an officer's place to question an order by the captain. You'll do as you're told. Yes, sir. You can give the order now, Mr. Wilmot. Charlie, I, I can't let you... Very well, Captain. All hands on deck. All right, helmsman. Find your place at the Stand boats. Stand by the boats. I'll take over the wheel. Prepare to abandon ship. Aye, sir. You don't know what you're doing, Charlie. We're in no danger here. There's no reason to abandon ship. We're always in danger aboard this black-hearted brute. I put her in the quarter now. You can get the boats in the water when she yields. Easy on. All hands. All right. Now. Lower boats. You shouldn't have any trouble running ashore to that beach there to the south. Uh, what about you? I'll hold her steady until everyone's clear. You'd better go over the side. Your boat's standing there. Oh, no, not until you do. I'm staying with you, Charlie. Don't be a fool, Ned. I'm doing this alone. No, Charlie, not while I'm here. Mr. Wilmot, you will abandon ship and take charge of the boats in the water. And that's an order. Charlie, I can't... Mr. Wilmot! Very well, Captain. That's the spirit, lad. Learn to obey orders and step lively. You'll be a seaman yet. Good luck, Ned. I slipped over the gunwale and dropped down into the boat that trailed alongside on a line from the rail. I'd hardly hit the bottom when the line slackened, and I knew Charlie had cut us loose from the ship. He was alone on her now. Alone in the night sea the black brute. Look, sir! Look! Charlie had put the helm over hard. He's leaning her over, away from the wind. The 
shudder of her dark sails and a smother of white foam from her bow. The great ship heeled about in a sharp turn and then began to drive ahead like some mad thing before the wind. Straight before the wind and straight towards the shore. Look, sir, the rocks on the headland. She's going to smash herself. Faster and faster, she plunged her head through the weltering seas. Faster and faster on the back of the gale, while the black-hearted spirit of her screamed in the rut lines. What in the name of heaven is he going to do? Now, one long instant, she hung poised at the top of the plunge, and then drove smashing down onto the rocks. We stood by, as close as we dared, for three hours killer ship pounded herself to bits in the surging sea. We didn't find my brother Charlie. And from the first minute, I knew we wouldn't. Because just before I'd left the ship, there, by the helm, in the light of the minimum lamp, I'd seen the thing he was holding, clenched tight in his hard brown fist. It was a tiny, platinum ring, set with a blue-white diamond. That concludes The Brute. Written by Joseph Conrad and adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield. The Brute originally aired on the Escape Radio Show on April 11th, 1948. Tonight's program was produced by Mortar and Pestle Productions and featured the voice talents of Kyle Frank as Ned, Matt Van Steenberg as Charlie, John Fairbrother as Young Charlie, Oral Speakwell as Mr. Wilmot, Scott Fairburn as German, Melissa Beveridge as Maggie Colchester, Brian Fairbrother as Captain Colchester, and Stephen Vanny as the Helmsman. Tune in again in two weeks' time for our adaptation of the H.G. Wells science fiction classic, The Time Machine. Until then, from Toronto. This is your host signing off. As always, stay safe, stay tuned, and good night. <laughs>